Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 70 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content, events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Before we go into the main part of the show, I want to let you know about a new online PR course for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs that I'm running. It's called Vegans in the Limelight and it starts in June. That's 2017 if you're listening in the future. And you'll learn how to get free publicity by getting yourself featured in the media on a regular basis. Now the course is particularly for vegan professionals who can't afford to hire a PR firm or a publicist at the moment. And I'm running it because I see so many vegan business owners, authors and entrepreneurs missing out on golden opportunities to get into the media, either because they're not confident in approaching journalists because they don't have the skills or they're pitching the media the wrong way. So I'm going to share with you the strategies and techniques for how to do your own PR. The course is tailored specifically for vegan business owners, so there'll be downloadable templates, case studies and bite-sized video training. You'll be able to post questions on the learning platform, which I'll personally respond to, and there'll also be three live group calls you can jump on to ask me anything about getting into the media, and I'll give you answers specifically for your business. So you're not going to be left to struggle along on your own with the course. So if you're keen to get your vegan brand in the limelight, head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where there's a link to the course with all the details. And I'll also put the link on the show notes page. In this episode, I interview Kiki Adami, founder of Veganizer, a consulting company based in New York that's committed to getting vegan food into omnivore restaurants. Kiki was a cruise director for five years, travelling all over the world, experimenting with vegan food everywhere. In 2014, she held the first restaurant veganisation in New York through her work with Goost Organics, which hit the headlines when paleo customers were unhappy with the switch to a plant-based menu. Since then, Kiki's worked with more than a dozen businesses across the US to hold veganizer events where for one evening their entire existing menu is turned vegan. And many of those eateries have gone on to veganize many more of their options on a permanent basis. Veganizer, which has added international chapters, also has the first food service vegan kitchen certification program, which aims to educate omnivorous business owners on the importance of veganizing their foods. Kiki's also part of a team that aims to open New York City's first plant-based food hall in 2018 to 2019, which will feature a range of vegan vendors along with a space for classes and events. In this interview, Kiki discusses the importance of working with rather than alienating omnivore restaurants as a form of vegan activism, the real story behind why Goost Organics closed, how she deals with the rejection she receives every day, how the veganizer model works and how she makes money from it, the regimented sales and marketing strategy she uses every day, how she uses media coverage to grow the profile of her brand, and much more. Here's the interview with Kiki Adami of Veganizer. Hello, Kiki. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hi, Katrina. I'm super happy to be here. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you because you have such a, an original and unique business. So really looking forward to chatting to you about this. And I think it's really great that you, because of your job, because of the work that you're doing, you're actually in Miami at the moment, which is pretty awesome. And it's morning where you are and evening where I am. And it's so cool that we're able to, <laughs> to do this internationally. Um, so tell us, first of all, why you do what you do. So you run this amazing new business called Vegan where you're basically veganizing restaurants. Uh, it's a fantastic model and we'll get into the detail in a bit. But tell us first of all about why. Why you, do you do what you do? 
So I feel like any entrepreneur will answer this the same way. The why is the most important part. Um, the why that can be hashed out in the end, but the why is really the defining thing that really drives you and moves you to wake up every morning. So um, I'd have to say that my particular why is obviously I'm an ethical vegan. Ultimately, hands down, it comes down to the animals and the planet and the future generations that need to obtain this earth well after we are here. Um, those are the three driving things. I wake up every morning and I write down in my journal. I say, why am I doing what I'm doing? And those are the three things that I write about. Um, and the second why I would say is uh, in terms of economics, uh, I feel like I've noticed that there's kind of a disconnect between vegan activism and the restaurant scene. Um, there's a whole sense of vegans only supporting uh, vegan restaurants, which I totally understand the why as to why they choose that. Um, but I myself veganized an omnivore restaurant with my partner. We were the first ones to do it a couple of years ago. Um, and quite a few vegans refused to support us until we were 100% vegan. And that to me made me realize, holy crap, we want to get rid of these animal products. We are putting ourselves out there saying we only have like three or four animal products left on our entire menu. And still the vegan community is not coming out to support us. But the, the irony in all of that is we could not remove the animal products until the vegan dishes started to outsell the animal dishes. Ah. So that was really the big red flag for me to start to shift the culture and how vegans treat omnivorous restaurants. And I decided that my stance on how I ran my business needed to be one of empowerment don't look at omnivore restaurants as something that you can't get involved in. See it as an opportunity to make a difference and shift and get animals off of plates. Wow, I love that. That's my why. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. I'm glad. So you've touched on that. So you, um, as you say, this, I guess, was your first veganizer project was uh, was with Gust Organics. And I remember the, the headlines were, you know, you were going vegan. And I think there was a bit of an outcry from a lot of the paleo customers. They weren't happy that the animal products were going off the menu. And then sometime after that, the business did fold. So there might be this perception that, oh, it went vegan, the business went vegan and that kind of ruined it and it went out of business. So can you talk to us as much as you can share kind of legally and as you're comfortable sharing what the situation was in regards to that? Sure. So I've been really hush-hush about this whole topic pretty much since Goose Organics. Um, indeed, we did go vegan and indeed there was a big backlash. I mean, it was the first time ever where a business establishment basically flat out said we can't support something anymore and our entire clientele was kind of, you know, felt like they were slapped in the face. And I do think that in retrospect, I would have been a little bit more quiet about the veganization. Um, but I wanted the world to know that a company could go vegan. Um, and not only did the vegans find out about it, but also the hardcore meat enthusiasts found out about it. So, you know, it goes both ways. When you want press, everyone's going to read it. You can't choose who reads it. And, and that would have been my, my change if I were to go back. So regarding the fall of Goose Organics, so what happened was we went vegan and we really did see a loss of profit for about six months. Um, our clientele that pretty much kept us afloat pretty much just turned their back on us. You know, Yelp reviewers kind of just went to town. I was at war with Yelp for almost two weeks trying to get a number of reviews taken down from people who were just angry. They didn't even eat at the restaurant or try the food. Um, I received a series of hate emails from, from the website. Um, I got personal Facebook messages of people saying they couldn't, calling me a narcissist and saying that I'm like Hitler and I have an agenda and I'm forcing my agenda on people. I mean, it's just the craziest stuff ever. And so I like, I leaked that to the press. Um, I thought it was an interesting move on my part because I wanted people to see what happens when you decide to go vegan, like how ridiculous the reaction of people can be. Yeah. Um, and this kind of spiraled into this online war. We got, you know, the vegan army kind of came to our rescue. We got 7,000 Facebook likes in one night. Um, and pretty much that was the turning point for the business. After six months, we were totally vegan. And, the numbers started to climb. Our food costs went down about 30%. 
um, and our Yelp reviews went up two stars. Um, we started to make more money than we had actually made in five years. Wow. So this, yeah, so not many people know this because I did have to be quiet for the, for the reason I'm about to tell you. In August of 2014, or sorry, in June of 2014, I was served a lawsuit from the investors of Gooster Organics. Um, and the lawsuit was that I had ruined the reputation of the business. And, uh, I mean, in the end, it was finally dubbed a malicious lawsuit. Um, and I've really just been very quiet about it until recently because the lawsuit was dropped. And I want people to know that, no, the restaurant didn't fold because it went vegan. The restaurant folded because we were hit with a massive lawsuit and the CEO decided to close it because it was just such a headache and so dangerous for us. We were under so much stress, so much pressure, pressure from our investors that we just had to, for one second, take care of ourselves. Um, but in fact, we were making more money as a vegan restaurant than an omnivore restaurant. So that's the truth behind that. And mm. I'm going to be a little bit more vocal about that now that the lawsuit is dropped. Um, but I did have to be quiet for a while. Got it. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Cause, and I'm really glad to hear that because, you know, we don't want to get it out there that there's this perception that, oh, if you go vegan, uh, you know, it's all going to, uh, you know, your business will end up going under. Um, because I know, for example, Gigi's Pizzeria here in Sydney went vegan and they had not quite, I mean, they did have a backlash. It wasn't quite so pre- as full on as, as obviously happened with Goose Organics, but certainly there was some backlash. But similar to, to what you've said, you know, they're doing really well they're continuing to go on they've still got the long queues and they're making money so I think it's Uh really good to yeah to put that out there so thank you for for clearing that up and and sharing that that's um, fantastic so tell us about veganizer Um, I love what you've done like okay so goose clothes but then you took the the concept of veganizing and actually created a whole new business concept Um, so tell us a little bit about veganizer what exactly is it and how does it work yeah, so I'm a big picture kind of person. When I did veganize Boost Organics, my idea was to have it explode into this massive, successful veganized chain. And then obviously things took a turn for the worse. So after that, I still continued on with this idea of the future of food is plants and people are flipping and going vegan every single day. But restaurateurs are digging their heels in the ground, trying to hold on to their grandmother's recipes. They have no idea, and one day they're going to wake up, and their menu is going to be irrelevant. It's going to be out of sync with what the community wants. It's going to be out of sync with what culture desires, and they're not going to know where to turn because all they know how to do is saute vegetables. So I just basically, two months after the restaurant closed, I said, you know what? Screw my investors. (laughs) I'm going to make this a movement. I know it's going to happen somewhere. I've already had a few restaurateurs reach out to me saying they've wanted to do the same thing with their restaurant. Cowspiracy was recently launched. Earthlings was just going viral. I mean, I have no doubt in my mind there were other restaurateurs who had seen this footage or had raised, risen their consciousness to this type of consciousness and were having issues with, you know, their business and sleeping at night. So I just knew I was too ahead of my time. And I thought, you know, I would like to be the enabler to really get the ball rolling and who better to help other restaurateurs than me since I've already pretty much created the path of how to veganize a restaurant. I'm just going to help other restaurateurs do it and not make the mistakes that I made. So two months after Goose Organics closed, I veganized a pupuseria and there was a line out the door. They had made more money that day than they had made uh, pretty much since the day they opened um, and that was really kind of the red flag for me to be like, wow, this could be something that could be sustainable. And I could probably do one a month in the amount of hours that it consumes. And who knows, like this could be really the beginning of a massive movement. And it was a year later, Gigi went vegan in 2015 and they kind of spawned another seven restaurants to go vegan. So it's really just been this series of catalysts, cause and effects. And, um, I just feel like restaurateurs don't know where to turn when they want to do this type of thing because there's never been the only the only movement that I can see that I feel I can relate to this type of movement is when the VCR companies needed to embrace the DVD companies. I mean, they fought long and hard to maintain their VCRs, but they knew deep down that the DVDs was the future of movies. And unless the DV, unless the VCRs like Blockbuster embraced DVD culture, they went out of business. 
And that's the only real movement that I feel like can be kind of relatable to this because never before has a restaurant had to flip their entire culture of kitchens, flip their entire consciousness, flip their entire why, add consciousness into their food, add, um, you know, it's just been, the, the food movement has never had to do what it needs to, needs to be done today. Yeah. So sure. I would like to be that person that helped that happen. That's great. And I love that analogy. I think that, that gives us a really good picture. Can you tell us a little bit about how the business model actually works and what you actually specifically do? Because as I understand it, you actually veganize their existing menu. So you're not necessarily bringing in mm-hmm. new things. You actually take what they're already serving and then veganize it. So how exactly, what do you do exactly? How do you help them? And how is it a business model for you? Right. So... I chose to go down this road of exist of veganizing their existing their existing menu, like taking their menu and flipping it 180, same dishes but in vegan form, for a series of reasons. First reason is psychology and food are completely inter- interrelated. So I wanted them to be able to see their menu in vegan form, so that basically they could say, "Holy crap! I don't have to just serve a series of mixed vegetable dishes." I can serve a cordon bleu. I can serve a hot dog. I can serve a burger. I can serve uh, a filet mignon. I don't have to sacrifice any of my menu and still get vegan. It's like the perfect version of having your cake and eating it too. So that's why I chose to veganize our existing menu. Um, and the model I, I chose uh, and, the, and the model that I go by is I hire a vegan chef and they, they work in this way. They go in, they meet with their omnivorous chef three times, a maximum of six hours a day. And the work is really interesting because it's not creative work, it's substitution work. And I also chose this because I work with a distributor. The distributor I work with is Ace Natural. They're one of the biggest organic uh, natural food sale distributors to the restaurant scene in NYC. And... Dea is there, Follow Your Heart is there, Gardein, Beyond Meat, everyone who's in the vegan, the veganized animal product world is available there. So not only is this restaurant getting their cake and eating it too, but we're also providing a chef with a platform to showcase their work if they want to go on and consult on their own at other omnivore restaurants. We are also putting money into the pockets of major, major businesses that are game-changing for the dairy and the meat industry. So it's kind of like a win-win-win situation where I win because I get paid as a consultant. The chef wins because they're getting paid as consultants. They're also getting provided a platform for which they can showcase their work. Maybe they want to open a vegan restaurant. They invite a series of investors to see their veganized dishes. The restaurant wins because they're working with Veganizer, and we blast their name out to all of our followers. And Daya and Follow Your Heart and Gardein win because we are providing them with new customers. We are literally customer acquisition for these major companies. We're essentially a non-paid salesperson. So everybody wins in this particular model. Everyone's getting paid and everyone's getting promotion. And that's really the model that I want to work work in is that everybody wins. Absolutely. So does it work then? It's a one-off event that you generally do and there's like a cover charge that customers pay on that day and you pitch it as there's a special chef on or something like that. Is that how it works as well? Sure. Uh, I mean, we work our butts off for 30 days um, to provide the vegans of the community and the plant enthusiasts of, of the community with one more menu in their city. So we feel like that work is very valuable and the vegans and the omnivores absolutely love the food that we place in these restaurants and the restaurants continue to see their results for months. So we charge a $10 entrance fee and I did this for one reason. A, I needed commitment. The first couple events that I hosted, the first pop of dinners I hosted, I would get 300 RSVPs and so, and so the chef would prepare food for 300 people And 75 people would show up. Um, And this type of accountability was really important for me because if someone was going to say they were coming, I needed to know they were coming because my success depended on how the restaurant, I needed to hit it out of the park. If only 75 people showed up, two things happened. A, we wasted a ton of money on food. B, we wasted a ton of food on people that didn't show up. And C, the restaurant had 
higher expectations than delivery. Right. So I needed accountability from the people. And I still to this day get, you know, that, that annoyed look of people walking in saying, oh, I have to pay time dollars just to sit here. And I said, oh, well, I had to pay a lawsuit and my entire business to provide this for you. So deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> what's, the, what's the reaction? So once they do that, and maybe they've made that initial complaint, but once they actually sit down to it, what's been the reaction from both customers and the business owners alike now that you've really kind of gotten into the groove? Mm, well, I rarely getting those nasty looks is, is rare. Um, you know, one in a blue moon. But, I mean, my events are just people are happy. People feel people are not just eating to and enjoying the food. It's also a sense of activism. It's restaurant activism because you're sitting in a restaurant that has basically put up the white flag and said, all right, vegans, you win. And it's just so satisfying to know <laughs> that you're sitting at a restaurant that has basically put up that white flag and said, all right, I give up. I give up on the burger, I embrace the veggie burger, and it just feels good to know that you're sitting at a restaurant that has done that and that you're supporting them and patting them on the, on the back for doing the right thing. So the, it's a very high energy. It's exciting for the restaurants to see that their embracement of the vegan world is successful. Um, the food is usually amazing. I, I've, I think I only had one event where I was like not impressed with the food because we kind of rushed it together. Um, but it's typically a huge success for everyone, the attendees and the restaurant and me. Wonderful. Now, how do you decide what restaurants to approach to veganize? Well, for the last year, um, it's been more of a passion project than a business. I really only decided to make it a business three months ago. Um, and for the first eight events that I did, I was pretty lucky in that you know, out of 10 restaurants that I would contact, maybe two would say yes. Um, and I only did uh, 10 events last year. So 10 and then some of those 10 events were two off, three off, four off. So in total, I did about 14 events, but 10 restaurants are the ones that I, I, I worked with. Um, and one restaurant led to another restaurant and another restaurant knew another owner of another restaurant. So it was a lot of word of mouth of last year, but this year I have a very specific program that I'm working with and that's I'm up at 5 a.m. I'm emailing 20 restaurants. By 11 o'clock I'm calling those 20 restaurants and um, it's very much a, a sales strategy. So the goal is to do one event every 20 days this year instead of one event every 35 days, which is what I did last year. We also expanded to four other cities we're in Portland, Brussels, Toronto, and Spain. We have a generic Spanish chapter. Um, and we are all working the same way. It's phone calls, in-person meetings. We've got sales material. We've got marketing material. We've got emails. We've got a website. We've got social sites up. Um, so it's just sales. It really comes down to that. It's how well can you convince an omnivorous restaurateur that his entire business model is going to fail in five years? I mean, it's, it's really just the hell. <laughs> well, that's great. I think that's really good for people to hear that sometimes you've just got to really do that hustle. And it is a case of, and I love the fact that you said that not only do you email, you then get on the phone. Because I think a lot of people, and look, I include myself to some degree in that, is I'm because I'm a writer, I'm very happy sending an email and communicating by email. And, you know, I don't necessarily want to get on the phone with, with people. And I know a lot of business owners maybe don't want to, but I think it's really important because you are, you know, you can get the info via email so they've got it there in front of them and if they need to discuss it their business partner and what have you but mm -hmm. there's nothing quite like that getting on the phone and actually having that interactive conversation so I really like that you've shared that and that you you literally like you say you've got a sales strategy in place and you're making this work mm -hmm. so, so you mentioned that you know sometimes you obviously get some rejections so how do you handle that Cause I think that's one of the things that people really hate like about doing sales is that you approach a certain number and you know you get rejections and none of us like rejection so how do you deal with that sure I mean convince, just convincing a human being to go vegan is hard enough let alone convincing a business to go vegan where there's 20 employees and an income so rejection I take you know it's no sweat I don't care if I get rejected in fact I expect a rejection 
um, I'm just pleasantly surprised when they don't reject me. <laughs> so, um, rejection means nothing. What I do is if I get a flat out rejection, like if I, if I just get no response, I move on. If I get an email that says, sorry, it's not in our marketing budget. Sorry. It's, you know, not right for us at this point in time. I take those leads and I database. I have a database. I have a database of social influencers. I've got a database of people who have ever attended my events. I've got a list of people who have rejected Veganizer, but not through ignoring us, but through actually responding. And these, this list of people, it's about 150 long at this point in time. I keep them on a list and I send them one email a month saying industry updates. Cause I'm, cause I may have planted a seed and they may have been rejected yesterday, but six months from now, they may be a client. So right. I, nice. I keep this database and I constantly send them, like when Gigi, you know, went vegan, I sent that newsletter. I sent just, just an email. Hey, have you heard this? As if it's coming from my personal email. Cause I want, I, when they decide to go vegan, cause I know in the next five years, there's going to be a huge monumental shift in the restaurant industry. And when that shift happens, I want to be the one that I want to be the first one that comes to their mind. Yeah, And because I've been emailing them and keeping on track with them, I know for a fact that I will be on their mind when they do decide to take that jump. Absolutely. I love that. I love that you've turned those, particularly, like you said, the ones that have responded, that they're not necessarily saying no, they're saying no, not yet. And like you say, mm-hmm. they can certainly come around and, and change their minds. And you just being there top of mind by sending them, like you say, useful. So you're not harassing them, but you're sending them just useful, like you say, industry updates. Um, mm-hmm. That's really smart, very, uh, very smart strategy. So I'm curious, Kiki, what kind of reaction? So when you go in, your chef goes in and you're working you know, with the business, Owner. So when your chef goes in and works with their staff, the restaurant staff, to veganize, what kind of reactions do do you get from those employees as well? Like, do, do they ever get resentful or a bit negative or anything? What, what kind of how do they react on a veganizer night? Well, a lot of it depends on management, right? The energy of the entire event depends on how management is is approaching it. And I'll give you a perfect example. So I worked with uh, Cafe Frida, which is a Mexican restaurant in the Upper West Side of NYC. And the owners had, it was a cold call. I cold called the owners and flat out just said, hey, my name's Kiki. I do pop-up dinners in vegan form. I'd love to host one at your restaurant. And for the first time ever, I didn't even have to explain anything else. They said, sure, we'd love to. I mean, I thought for a second he didn't understand me because he had such a thick accent that he didn't understand the English. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so I repeated myself and I said, no, wait, I don't think you understand. I want to make your restaurant go vegan. Do you understand? <laughs> and he said, yeah, sounds good. I said, okay, I don't know what's going on here. Turns out that the owners had all watched Calspiracy together. And we're having, I mean, it was just, you know, the luck, it was an act of God that I happened to call them a week after they watched Cowspiracy as a group. So, um, you know, long story short, the, the owners were completely on board and that energy translated into all of their staff because they were excited about it. They were on board, you know, we hosted a tasting uh, they hired me to come in and teach about veganism to their entire staff. So the ethos of the evening, everyone was on board with it. Everyone understood the why. On a counterpart to that, I worked with another restaurant. I'll, I'll leave them nameless. But the owner didn't even mention to the chef that me and my chef were going to show up one day and work with the chef. So, you know, two, two different types of people that I'm working with here and the, the servers didn't know, the staff didn't know, the chef didn't know. And as a result, the chef flat out said, I don't really want to work with you, but you can work with my sous chef. The sous chef wasn't on, you know, the sous chef wasn't into it because the chef wasn't into it and the chef wasn't into it because the owner wasn't into it. So it all depends on management. You've got two different mentalities here. 
Got it. That makes so much sense. So much sense. Now, you mentioned that uh, Veganizer has expanded. So you started off in New York and now you've got, like you mentioned, you've got chapters in those other countries. You flying across the States. I say you're you're in Miami at the moment doing something cool this evening even. Um, it's obviously very time intensive. You know, you're working with the venue in the run up to the event. I'm just curious how you manage all of this with such a hands on approach. So do you have any staff or contractors to sort of help you run this? Um, I don't. I don't actually. I'm a I'm a one woman team as far as creating the concept, being the artistic director and mentoring the other chapter leaders, but I do have four other chapter leaders that run their own chapters, just like mini me's. And I just mentor them, I give them all the tools, I give them sample emails, I provide them with a website with so we all share the same social media. So I provide them as if they're realtors and I'm the broker. I provide them with a platform to do the, be their own business owner. So they run everything on their own. And then in terms of myself, like I said, I'm so driven by this. I eat, breathe, sleep, bleed this movement. It's all I think about. I feel like I need a life, to be totally honest, because it's all I think about every day, all day. And I'm up at sometimes 4.30 in the morning because I have to get sales phone calls out by 8 a.m. And if I don't do everything I need to do prior to 8 a.m., those phone calls don't happen, and they have to happen at 8 a.m. So I'm up at 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, and then sometimes I'm working till 11 o'clock at night. And I'm a Capricorn. I'm bred to do that. If I'm doing what's in line with what I'm passionate about, I am made to work from 5 a.m. to 11 o'clock at night doing my work and waking up the next morning do it again and doing that for the next 20 years. It's just the, the way I'm built. Wow. But it's only because I'm in line with what I'm passionate about. Yeah, totally. I can hear you're totally obviously on, on purpose, which is fantastic. Now, what you're doing, as it relies on, as we sort of touched on this, and a lot of collaboration. I know recently you did a fabulous event at the James Beard House, and for international uh, listeners, that's a really prestigious U.S. culinary organization. And you brought together several top vegan chefs, and obviously there's a lot of teamwork involved with venues to pull off a successful veganizer event. So can you just talk a little bit about the importance of collaboration and partnerships in business? Sure. I mean, it is the age of collaboration. You literally cannot accomplish anything without collaboration. And if you think you can, uh, you're going to be shooting yourself in the foot because every person can contribute to your business in one way or another. And business is through relationships. People don't do business with businesses. They do business with, business with people. And, for example, I'm in Miami right now, and I was just going for a run yesterday morning, and I was walking along the beach, and I saw a woman feeding cats. And I just was talking to her. It turned out she's vegan, and she's a realtor. And now we're getting dinner on Saturday night. And this person potentially lead to a series of transactions that could happen in Miami. And I'm not trying to say that you should approach every relationship with an agenda to expand your agenda, but every person can contribute to your mission. And if your mission is for the greater good, then you should be out there meeting as many people and finding out what their contribution is in the world and figuring out a way to lift up yourself with their contribution and how you can contribute to them as well. So relationships is everything. Yeah, totally. And it's it's funny how things like that happen, like almost serendipitous, like even like tonight, for example, I was hosting an event for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs in Sydney. And a couple of people were there and they both happened to be like in the fitness industry. And someone previously had said to them, oh, you two guys should connect. It just so happens there they were tonight, you know, right time, right place. <laughs> um, and it's lovely uh-huh. when that happens. Uh, so I, I love that you you've shared that experience. That's great. So um, tell us a little bit about the the marketing strategies you've used, because Veganizer's really kind of, uh, you know, gotten out there now. Like you're really, you know, you've got a strong brand. You're, you're out there on social. You've actually been featured in quite a lot of media. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So just talk a little bit about some of your key marketing strategies that have really helped to grow the brand. Sure. Well, I think first and foremost, you have to be consistent with social media. That's one thing that I've learned is, when I've gone off last year, I, I was traveling for four months. I saw you in Australia. I was in a series of other places. Um, but I lost momentum in my social media, and I saw such a decline in just my presence in the, in the movement. 
And so in social media, you have to be super consistent every day, nine o'clock, 12 o'clock, six o'clock. You need to be putting content that's relevant out in terms of social media. But my other strategy is press. Um, press is a very powerful, powerful thing. Press wins elections. Press can ruin a person's reputation. Press can cause suicide. Press can cause, you know, relationships to break up. I mean, press is just so powerful because it's just so much bang for your buck. And so I do do a lot of PR and my PR strategy is very simple. I go onto Google and take this if you're a vegan business owner and roll with it because it's a, it's a golden nugget. <laughs> go onto Google News, click in the word vegan, a bunch of articles will come up with the SEO of vegan and email every single journalist just introducing yourself, saying what you do and say you'd love to work with them one day in the future. I now have a database of 200 journalists that I can, I'm pretty much on a first name basis with just because I've done that work. And I do about 40 emails a month to journalists. Um, some become contacts, some don't lead anywhere. But like I said, I'm at about 200 first name basis with major journalists that know my name. And all I have to do is text them and say, hey, come to my event. And that could lead to an article. So, again, it's relationships. Yeah, I was just about to say, yeah, it comes back to that building relationships. And that's certainly what I teach people, you know, having a background in journalism. It's It's about building those relationships and finding, obviously, the stories, the interesting angles. And, you know, you've got something very unique in, in what you're doing. Um, so it's been great to see you getting some uh, some really good coverage there, which is fantastic. Yeah. Now, I noticed you also had a little bit of kind of, I suppose, negative or slightly sensationalistic media. I think it was the New York <laughs> Post, like one of the tabloids. So tell us a little bit about that and how you handle it. Because like you say, press can go either way. It's great when it's really positive, but sometimes, you know, they can kind of, you know, go to town a little bit. So tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> so... Um... Indeed, I did get some sensationalized <laughs> news in the New York Post recently, um, and I, and I, you know, I was a little bit finagled into that. I met with the, I, I had a phone call with a journalist. I reached out to her on LinkedIn, um, and the story that I pitched her was that I was walking down Bleecker Street one night, and I was veganizing a restaurant called Romania at the time. And all the restaurants were empty. I mean, when I say empty, I mean three or four, five, six people in each of the restaurants. But there was about 25 people in in uh, Chloe, basically, is bursting at the seams. And I thought to myself, how the hell aren't these restaurateurs adding vegan food to their menu when they've got this this restaurant in front of them for the past year? outselling them by tenfold every single day. I mean, it must be a massive slap in the face to be this business that has been doing well for all these years and to see this newbie come in and outsell them and throw them to the shops overnight. And that was, you know, that really got me thinking, like, how are these restaurateurs not making a change when they see that this is clearly what people want? And so I pitched a bunch of journalists and saying, I think this is a really interesting story that, Chloe is really having to send owners and business owners to the drawing boards that they want to stay relevant, especially on Bleecker Street. Um, and that was the story that I pitched. It wasn't the story that was delivered. Um, so we had the interview and, you know, I'm a very transparent person. I don't have much of a filter um, because I have good intentions. Like, frankly, I don't care. My goal is to get animals on the plate, period. That's it. Um, and so when we spoke, you know, at one point I did realize there was the first time the flag went up was when she started really probing me about the lawsuit. And that's when I realized, hmm, this might be a spin that I wasn't intending. So when we met for the photo shoot, that's when she kind of dropped the bomb and said, just so you know, um, this is the New York Post and sort of the, the, the viewpoint of the New York Post is a group of old white grumpy men talking about these young yuppies coming in and ruining their city. And I said, oh, really? Okay. And she said, and also just so you know, I don't come up with the headlines, so I'm sorry for whatever they write. And that was when I realized that it wasn't going to be the press that I wanted, but it was too late at that point. 
And, and the headline was, was it the headline something like Kiki Adami is determined to turn Bleecker Street vegan? And then they got quotes from some of the restaurateurs saying, oh, she's not going to make our street vegan or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It turned out, yeah, it turned out to be this, uh, yeah, wasn't what I expected. But it was interesting because um, the Nino's Pizzeria, which is one of the biggest guys who, who got quoted in the article, his name's Joe, and he runs Danino's Pizzeria. I mean, you should have seen what was written about him when he basically stood there in a photo saying, our pizzas are famous with the way they are. And, oh, my God, when I read through the comments, people, they bashed him to shreds. So oh I reached out to him multiple times saying, hey, dude, this is a massive PR stint. We should veganize you. I can imagine <laughs> the headlines now. Pizzeria, <laughs> who, de- who defies veganism, goes vegan. I mean, that guy would have a line out the door. It's I mean, true. yeah. So I've reached out to him a couple of times. He hasn't responded yet, but I won't give up. <laughs> I know you won't. You won't. That's so funny. It's good to hear that. Thanks for sharing that. So now we talked about your previous working with Goose Organics. And um, when we met in, in Sydney, you told me you also have had a career uh, working on cruise ships. So I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about how your previous professions or jobs have been useful in starting and running Veganizer? Sure. Um, well, definitely Goose Organics paved the way on on how to veganize, you know, just strategy-wise, PR-wise. Um, operations-wise, that was essential for, for Veganizer to be a reality. But I was a cruise director for many years for a cruising company, Holland America, and I ran a team of 60 people. And it was a, a very high-profile job on board. You know, you're nobody in the, re- in the real world, um, but you are the most high-profile person on board the ship. You're the face, you're the voice. You manage all the activities, all the events. You manage the entire event staff team. Um, and you really just are the face of a company. And so I learned how to basically stand in front of a group of people and speak, not only literally, but, you know, figuratively have a mission, have a point to the words that are coming out of my mouth. Because as a cruise director, you make speeches in front of 2,000 people on a daily basis. And the words that are coming out of your mouth have to be relevant or else you're a joke. So I really learned how to have a voice. That was really important to me as a cruise director, having a voice and saying something worth listening to. That was number one. The second thing was leadership. Because I ran a team of 60 people on board a ship, cruising mentality is totally different from the real world. I mean, it's like la-la land on board cruise ships because you (laughs) not only work with the same people, but you eat with the same people, you sleep next to the same people, you live with them for six to eight months on end. And it's just this weird culture. And you can kind of get into a rut of being miserable because familiarity breeds contempt. And you kind of start to take your culture and your surroundings for granted. So I learned really quickly that you have to be a leader of your people in a positive way. And so you have to educate them on the why. You can't be a dictator. You can't be a Machiavelli. You have to enroll them in your vision so that you can achieve what you need to achieve as a leader and have them appreciate the the actions they're taking and understand why it's important for them to take those actions. So leadership was something that became so enrolled in my life as a cruise director. And those two things, having a voice and being a leader are essential to, to what I'm doing right now. So I'd say that's the two most important things. That's fantastic. And I love that you shared that in that, because I think it's inspiring for people who maybe are perhaps in a similar position, maybe not necessarily on a cruise ship, but are working like another job, like a a day job, a nine to five, and maybe they they don't like it. Like you said, it's become boring and, you know, maybe they're a bit resentful. They really don't want to be there. But it's really good to, to demonstrate that you can take the skills that you learn in that job and then put it to a passion project, which can then turn into a business, which is what you've done. So I love that you've been able to, you know, gather all that experience, those skills, that expertise on the cruise ship 
it and are now putting it into something so amazing and game-changing. So I think that's really, really inspiring. Um, so a little bit about funding. So obviously, you know, when people are starting up a business, you know, it's no longer the nine to five with the regular paycheck. Um, obviously, every business has some startup costs. So I'm just kind of curious, and I know you've, you've said you've only recently kind of really... Um, I guess made the made it into a, a full-on business. What um, can you share with us about uh, how you managed to do that in terms of funding the new business? Well, the, the business was developed through my own dime, right? I worked as a cruise director during the development phases. I also was in real estate during the development phases. So I funded everything that I did as a passion project, and I, I just saw it as my contribution, my activism. Um, I love donating money to different things and, you know, different startups and different um, non-profits. But I, there's always that question of where is my money really going? And so I, I wanted to take my money and just dive into something that I was passionate about and still achieve the same things of getting animals, you know, safer on this planet. So I funded everything on my own, but now that I'm at a point where I have no other income besides Veganizer, um, I have to take it much more seriously, and that's why I have a very serious morning agenda of getting those sales phone calls, because I need to get an event every 20 days or I cannot fund my life. Got it. Got it. Excellent. No, that's a great strategy. Um, that's, that's called self-funding. Fantastic. So what have been the final couple of questions now? What have been the key lessons you've learned through, particularly through running Veganizer, but maybe even, um, you know, you've had that experience with Gusto Organics as well. But So what have been the key lessons you've learned through running your businesses? The key lessons are that sometimes you will look around and say, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, and I think that's normal. My dad is an entrepreneur of 60 years and, and he's really helped me through the psychology of this. Um, you know, there's this, there's this story of this war where I forget who told me and I forget the details, but the, the concept is this, that there was this tiny army going to battle with this massive army and they knew they were going to lose but they decided to burn the ships behind them so that there was no going back. They had to go into this war wholeheartedly because the ships were gone, and they ended up winning the war. And I feel like that's how you have to be as a person who takes on your own business and decides that you're no longer going to depend on someone else to employ you, that you're going to employ yourself. You have to burn all the ships behind you and go all in because there's no half-assing entrepreneurialism. You have to do it 100% all day, every day. And some days, in fact, I think most days, you'll feel like a failure. And you also have to embrace failure as you're not losing. You're just learning and winning. There's the only two options in entrepreneurialism. You either learn or you win. And you have to have that mentality because sometimes you will fail. Um, and I think this is the biggest lesson I've learned through my journey of being my own employer and my own CEO and president and everything lovely i love that you either learn or you win i think that that's great that's fantastic advice so what's your long-term vision then uh, kiki both for yourself and for veganizer long-term vision is to have um well an international consulting company uh the goal is to ultimately start up a certification program that educates uh, omnivorous restaurants because we can only do an event costs so much time and energy and time is money in business. So we have to really evaluate where we are most effective in terms of how quickly we can veganize a restaurant and how much it costs us. So we've recently launched a certification program, which is a much more expedited way of getting animals off the menu. And it's more of a consulting uh, aspect of the business where we go in and we educate them magic, you know, magic bullet type of education where they watch all the documentaries, we go through their ingredient list, we provide them with a list of replacements and then we go back, uh, you know, 30 days later and see how they implemented their education. Um, and then they can have the certification because they know about cross contamination, they know about the vegan replacements, they know about the why behind veganism. And as a result, they kind of graduated to be a veganizer restaurant. So this is the long-term goal to get this certification into 
every restaurant we can possibly get. I would like to have 200 restaurants certified by next year. And then I want that to increase by 100% every year going forward so that ultimately we can just really expedite this movement of restaurants going vegan. That's wonderful. And that's a really smart strategy as well. Like that, just as you were explaining that, I was just thinking that makes so much business sense. And what I love as well about Veganizer, like you touched on earlier, is that with the other chapters, like internationally, you know, you're providing with them with the tools. So not only are you, you know, veganizing these restaurants, but you're also actually providing opportunities for for other people to start their own like little mini businesses sort of un- underneath the, the Veganizer banner. So I love that. Exactly. Now, yeah. Now, am I thinking as well, am I right in thinking you are planning also to start a plant-based mall in New York City? Like, is that still on the cards? Oh, it's totally happening. Uh, it's, it's a little bit too early to be marketing it. So that's why you've kind of only heard a little bit about it. But indeed, we are opening up a plant-based food hall. It's myself and Sarah Gross. If you've heard of New York City Vegetarian Food Festival, or Rescue Chocolate, or U.S. Veg Corp. Um, she's a major game changer in the vegan scene. Um, she's also founded the Vegetarian Festival in Arizona, as well as L.A. So her and I have kind of teamed up because she's sort of the queen of vendors, and I'm, you know, I guess the queen of the restaurant movement in terms of veganism. And so we have teamed up, and we are opening a plant-based food hall in 2000, late 2018, early 2019. It's going to be 15 A-lister vegan food vendors. It's also going to have a hub kind of area where it's going to be like a WeWork thing where it's all communal tables, Wi-Fi, couches. Um, And then we're also going to have fitness space where we're going to have a um, really cool boutique fitness scene happening. Maybe it's kickboxing, maybe it's Pilates, yoga, maybe it's boutique fitness classes, dance classes. So it's kind of going to be like a mecca for veganism. Um, wow. There's also going to be it's also going to be a concept incubator. So eight of the vendors are going to be permanent. They're going to be there at least five years. But then six of the vendors um, are going to be basically concept incubators. Where let's say there's a really cool pizza concept that's you know popping up at all these vegan shop ups, and they just need a brick and mortar without having the cost of paying a 20-year lease, which is a typical thing in New York City. So they can basically take this space, uh, this vendor space for six months and really expand their concept, maybe find an investor to build a brick and mortar. But this is basically the, it's called Home Food Hall. If you go to homefoodhall.com, you can read all about it. But it's happening. It's just a matter of time at this point. It's a huge project. Wow, that's so exciting. Like as if we didn't need another reason to visit New York. It's already pretty cool to, to visit New York, but that is like so amazing. Oh my gosh. Um, well, I'm certainly looking forward to, I'm actually coming to New York in early November this year, um, but I'll certainly oh. be back when you open um, the home food hall as well. So my gosh, you really are doing some, some amazing stuff, Kiki, and I really appreciate you coming on the show today and you know sharing some of those strategies and what you're doing and being very generous in yeah in helping and inspiring other vegan business owners so thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and uh, yeah really appreciate you coming on the show thank you so much Katrina I miss you we'll have to get together in November when you're in New York sounds good for sure (laughs) (laughs) so that was Kiki Adami from Veganizer You can find out more at theveganizers.com and that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 70. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Germany is leading the vegan revolution when it comes to food. According to research firm Mintel's Global New Products database, Germany was the leading market for vegan food and drink product launches in 2016, and 18% of all global vegan food and drink product launches took place there. The US was a close second at 17%, followed by the UK at 11%. 
Vegan-friendly launches have soared over the past few years in Germany, with the share of food and drink products featuring vegan claims in total food and drink launches rising from 1% in 2012 to 13% of all launches in 2016. In contrast, globally, food and drink products with vegan claims only accounted for 4% of new food and drink introductions in 2016. Now, I find this pleasantly surprising. The couple of times I went to Germany back in the early and mid-90s when I was still just vegetarian, it was so hard to find anything without meat or dairy, even at breakfast. So to see such a meat-centric country embrace plant-based products is heartening. As if Portland, Oregon wasn't enough of a vegan paradise, the city now has its first all-vegan donut shop, reports KGW. Dough Donuts opened last week, and that's May 2017 if you're listening in the future, on Southeast Powell Boulevard to a queue of people. Within just four hours of opening, a thousand vegan donuts were sold. Doe's the brainchild of chefs Carly Sittner and Crystal Wegener, who specialise in making handcrafted artisanal doughnuts. The pair worked together at a natural grocery chain and made two flavours of vegan doughnuts while they were there, which quickly became popular, and spent the next two years perfecting their recipes before opening dough. Now, the doughnuts look absolutely delicious with all kinds of interesting ingredients combined, which you can check out on their website. So this is a great example of taking an opportunity to test the market in a safe environment for your product and getting everything in place before opening your own store. Now, food trucks have become popular in cities, but France is set to get its first vegan fashion truck. Three best friends, Eleanor Skillar, Camelia Doquin and Kilian Hemart, teamed up to start their company La Pradelle in September 2016, selling their wares online. In order to reach more people and make vegan fashion accessible, they want to take the store on the road, visiting festivals and cities to introduce people to vegan clothing, shoes, accessories, cosmetics, candles and jewellery. For this first tour of France, in what they're calling the vegan fashion truck later this year, the trio promised to offer exclusive and unusual brands in France to showcase the best in vegan fashion. They also plan to offer workshops including vegan makeup, acro yoga initiation and vegan cooking classes. They're currently running a crowdfunding campaign to raise money to buy the truck and to offset the emissions from the truck, they're going to plant trees and plan to donate 1% of profits to Rev Animal, a cat and dog rescue organisation. How innovative is this? I love how creative this group of friends are being and a mobile vegan store really does make vegan products accessible to a wide range of people. Fantastic. Finally, if you can't beat them, join them. (laughs) A former butcher has joined the team at Impossible Foods, makers of the vegan burger that's so realistic it bleeds, reports Fortune. David Lippmann, the son and grandson of butchers and cattle brokers, joins the Silicon Valley-based startup as chief science officer. He's one of the most highly cited scientists in biomedical research through his work in the food space with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, US Food and Drug Agency and the US Department of Agriculture. Impressed by the environmental benefits of the science behind the plant-based burgers, including the fact that they use about 75% less water, produce about 87% fewer greenhouse gases and require about 95% less land than conventional ground beef, Lippmann said of the move to Impossible Foods, This is something I've been following. The level of science they're bringing to food, I've never seen anything like it. This is absolutely brilliant. I love this. This is the kind of news that gives hope that it's not impossible, (laughs) you know I'd say that, to transition from meat and animal-based agriculture to plant-based foods. 
It's great to see the scientific and technical expertise of this professional going towards something positive and let's hope others follow suit. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 